I was standing in CNS National Bank banking floor on 222 Mitchell Street, 1977, waiting to make a deposit from my business. And in front of me was a young man cashing a check. And it was written out to cash for $1,000, and the name on the check was Charles McCormick. I stood there, and, and the teller was very nervous. A little bit, the manager came over, and, and a little bit later, up came two security guards behind us, and the gentleman in front of me was subsequently arrested, which frustrated me. I didn't know whether to step up to the teller cage or not, and then I realized standing behind me was the real Charles McCormick. He had noticed when the young man held the check up that it was his, which had been stolen a week before. The first time I ever heard of someone taking another person's identity, it didn't work so well that day. But it works well now for many people. It is a common crime to steal someone's identity. Believers have a rich heritage in Christ, but sometimes no one steals our identity, we give it away. We forget that we can end up like Esau, not valuing what God has given us. And if I, as I've looked over the life of Jacob and Esau, I've been amazed with the fact that many times in their life they've had events that so closely parallel what we go through in life. And this is one of them. Because I see many people selling their birthright. Christians who come to know Christ at an early age, who walk with the Lord and love Him, at some point after they go away to college, they lose their faith or they give it up. And they lose that birthright and they spend a length of time floundering in life. And somewhere down the road, thankfully, most of them find their way back to Christ. But their identity is not stolen, it's given away. It's abandoned. And when I look at the story of these twins and what they went through, which is a very short expression of a situation, I understand that this story is given to us for something that is much more powerful. These boys grew up, and no doubt Esau had his gifts, and so did Jacob. Yet Esau, in the midst of all that God had given him, allowed a passion, very simple passion, to control him. Now, in the King James, it describes this as a red stew. I don't know what kind of stew it really was. The, the NIV says it's a lentil stew, and, and I, I think it's more like a, a beef stew that we would eat here in the South. But whatever it was, it was something that he needed. He was very hungry, and he was willing to sacrifice something that was ever so valuable, and his brother was willing to take it. I struggle with this story. I grew up hearing a quote from a very famous Methodist preacher from Tennessee, Dr. Bob Jones Sr., who said, don't sacrifice the permanent 
on the altar of the immediate. And that describes the situation here. For people find in their lives a need to have something and forget about their long-term situation. They forget that we're not in the, the short race. We're not sprinting for 100 yards. We're, we're actually in a long race in life. And God wants us to understand that some things have a value that cannot be estimated as we walk with Him. And I want to think today a little bit about how we make these judgment calls because that's very important. Because we in life are called many times to make decisions. In the last three to four months, we've had to make some very difficult decisions. And, and I believe that we've made some wise decisions. The, the auditorium is more full today than it's been in months, yet it's still woefully absent of so many people. But I know you're out there listening. And I know you hear this message. And I know you love your church. So I'm not affected by what I see. I'm encouraged by what I know. We are able to get through the struggle. And I know the situation that the United States is dealing with today in Minneapolis and many other major cities is struggling with. We will get through this. When an unconscionable crime is committed, and that's what it was, when a man is, is killed by someone that's sent out to protect and serve. It's beyond understanding. Yet the reality is civil society should hold together and work together to get through that. So I, I pray for, for many people around the world today, and especially people here in the United States that are struggling with that. I pray for my home city, Atlanta. And I pray for my youngest, my son, who is there. And who I have warned. And thankfully, unlike Esau, he's listened to me. And he's staying away from problems. Thank God for that. But I want to think today about how we make our decisions. How we weigh out what we should go toward and what we should sacrifice for and what we should never let go of. Because sometimes we let go of those things that are most valuable. I've often told young couples when they marry that you will not see the weight and the challenge and the importance of church until you have your first child. And then you'll go back to your own childhood. And you'll understand the importance of being in church. Sometimes we have to be in a situation to really fully comprehend the weightiness of what we've had in the past. The community of faith, which many times when we're young, we take for granted. We now, in this soon-to-be post-coronavirus pandemic society, can never take for granted. For many people have been alienated from church and they understand what it is to crave the body of Christ being together, the fellowship that we enjoy, and it's not been there for them. And I pray that, that you find other ways to reach out to those that you love and that you abide with and that you live for 
that you're away from. The first thing I want to think about here is the thing that you should not give up is don't ever sacrifice your access to God. Because some people do that in life. They shut that door either because popularity is more important in their circle of friends or, or life seems to get so busy that, that God is he's relegated to a lower shelf or category. And that happens many times. Remember the first thing that, that, that Esau gave up was the privilege of being a priest. As the oldest son, as the firstborn, he, he was consecrated before God and he was given the responsibility of coming before God on behalf of the family. God gave him that right and that privilege. But he gave it up because he was hungry. When Esau sold his birthright, he gave up that priesthood. Don't ever give up your right to come to God on behalf of those that you support and you encourage. I believe that the local church is not the creation of mankind, but it was the invention of Jesus himself. It's what he instituted. I believe that there is the body of Christ, and we know that that is much greater than, than the world or greater than any period of time that's ever existed. It's made up of every Christian that will ever live. And one day that body of Christ will be brought together for a reason and for a purpose and forever. But right now we have the local church that ministers to people in a way that, that the universal church can. The local church stays very busy. Relationships can be hindered but they cannot be halted. I'm still the pastor of every member of this church. And whether they're sick in the hospital or at home, I'm still the pastor. I pray for them. I love them. I communicate with them. I may not have access to them, but they're still a part of this church. And there's no reason why we would ever cut off a relationship like that. Just like Sunday school classes administered in this church so effectively to your members. That should never be hindered in any way. But Esau walked away from his relationship. You know, it's amazing that, that Isaac was passing to them only one physical possession. He only owned one piece of land, a graveyard, where he would be buried. That's all he owned. These were Bedouins. They, they drifted and they traveled. It was not like he had a gigantic estate that they were in battle for. But what he gave up was so much more important than human possessions. For when he walked away from that responsibility, he negated his calling as being a conduit between his family and God. And he denied his need for God. I want you to think about that. Now I'm so glad that we have a God that does not turn his back upon us. We turn our backs on him many times. We ignore him. We pretend he isn't there. And 
and even I've heard people come up with ideas and concepts that they thought was scriptural, but really they were just pagan about God being hurt and drifting from us and not having a relationship with us. I, I've told you many times, God is in your, an in-your-face God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God went looking for them right away. Immediately. When he asked Adam, he said, Adam, where are you? He didn't mean that he couldn't see him. They weren't playing hide and seek. He meant, where are you in a relationship with me because you're not where you used to be? Remember, our, our faith is first and foremost relational. We are the ones that were separated from God because of our sins. God didn't hide from us. He wasn't afraid of our sins. God loves us. He sent His Son to die for us. No, God loves us so much that He would not walk into our presence immediately. For in our sin, we would be vanquished and destroyed. He loves us enough to give us time to change. Many of us surrender our birthright. We give it up and we walk away from it. But he not only gave up his birthright, he gave up something else. And I warn you to be careful about this in life. Be careful about giving up your self-control or your ability to decide on your own. Because many times in life we do that. He gave up his power. He gave up all authority to be the head of his household. He walked away from it. He didn't care. You see, in his father's absence, he had authority over all his siblings. He surrendered that. It didn't matter to him. Now, some people look at him and say, oh, he was the, he was the perfect person because what he did was he said, I'm not going to value things of this life. I'm not going to value even what people create. Um, he didn't understand his role in life. And we all play a role that is so important. God calls us to do that. We can't walk away from it. If whatever role you've been called to play is important, it's pertinent that you fulfill that. I have on occasion had to look people in the eye people much older than I am, people that were wiser than I am, and say to them, you can't walk away from what you are and who you are because too many people are counting on you to be who you are. You're a standard. Your family watches you. And though you're going through trials and frustrations, you can't give up. Many of us want to. After my dad died, he was such a strong man. Not a big man, but a strong man. And cancer seemed to take his life away in a matter of weeks. And it seemed like everything fell on my shoulders. And I was terrified. I had to make decisions that I'd never made before. 
I would always listen to my dad. I would trust him. He was there when, when I finished high school and I started my first business. He was the person that I sought out for advice. He was my encourager. And I wasn't ready to, to be in a position of control and influence. I didn't want it. But God seems to guide us through that storm to become the person we need to be. Remember this, no one is born with the ability to lead. It is developed in life. It's called character. And it's character that's willing to give to others. That's not selfish. I believe there's a reason why the eldest gets a double portion of the estate. It's because they have the greater responsibility. Yet Esau wanted neither. Now, granted, Jacob wanted it for the wrong reason. You could say that probably one of the first and greatest swindles in all of history was exacted upon Esau by his brother Jacob. He was the trickster, the supplanter. We knew that. But Esau was willing to give that up. Esau had it all. He had everything that he could imagine. I'm amazed after being here 10 years, the people I meet that come to the Black Belt, and they come here because first and foremost, they said, I can do everything in business. I can be here for my family. But they said, I can do the one thing that I love most. I love the outdoors. And I can hunt and I can fish. And I can do what I enjoy. And I appreciate that. I grew up in a family that hunted. We, we maintained land. I kept cows until I came here. And the reality is this. Esau did not want the responsibilities that came with maintaining a family. He wanted all the benefits, the accoutrements of being someone that could do what they wanted to do, i.e. to hunt and fish and whatever they enjoyed. But the reality is he didn't want the responsibility that were given his family members. As one person told me once, they said if he was really a good hunter, he should have been a good cook. He could have made his own stew. But he didn't. He didn't. And he was limited in a great way. He was hungry, and his hunger dominated his life. He didn't understand the importance of waiting. He didn't understand the need for discipline in life. He didn't understand that there's some things that you see that are weighty and important, and you don't sacrifice those. Don't trade away your privileges for momentary pleasures. And that's a lesson that many people have had to learn after the fact. Truly the brokenhearted have taught us the phrase that eyesight is 20-20 as we look in the rearview mirror. But we understand in life that we can stop that, we can change our lives, and, and we can turn around at any point. It, 
The word repentance means to make a U-turn. And, and many times we need to repent from the behavior we've had in the past. Even if we're a Christian, we can change. But Esau didn't understand the importance of that. You know, Hebrews 12 tells us, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. It says, without holy, holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no, listen to this, bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with great tears. Here's the lesson we learned from that. You can't sacrifice opportunity and gain it back with emotion. Some things, when they're gone, they're gone. You can see in the rearview mirror you made a mistake, but you cannot go back to that moment. You can't redo it. That's why sometimes the most passionate people about issues of life that they've changed about radically, and they seem to just overreact when someone is struggling with something, if you look deeper into their life, you'll find out that they learned that lesson the hard way. Yet they learned it. And I appeal to you, learn lessons quickly and faithfully because God will bless you for that. We as God's children have certain inheritance rights that we don't want to sacrifice. Like Esau, we have the right of the priesthood and the promises of God and the blessings that He gives us and the spiritual gifts that He offers to us and, and, the, and the opportunity to minister. Yet we can choose to walk away from that. I've heard many Christians that God had given a gift to say something on the order of this. Oh, I don't feel worthy to do what you're asking me to do in the church. The reality is none of us are worthy. It's the grace of God that gives any of us entrance into God's house to worship Him. Don't sell those inheritance rights and walk away from them forever. <clears throat> Don't be on the sidelines and choose not to participate. Because the truth is, there's no such thing as a spectator Christian. If Christianity was, was a sports field, like a football field, there would be no grandstands around. There would be no announcer. There would be no sideline coach except for the Holy Spirit. We would all be on the field practicing and playing as God has called us and the audience is God himself. But too often, we want to be relegated to the grandstands which don't exist. Which really means we've sidelined ourselves. We put ourselves on the bench, inactive, in the service that God's called us to do. I've had people say, well, I'm afraid to, to, to teach Sunday school or to serve as a deacon. I'm afraid I'll fail. Well, 
my, my, you fail for good if you don't answer when you're called. Because you fail God. Everybody that sought to serve has failed at some point in their lives. They've made the mistake that, 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 that seems so painful. But the only way to avoid mistakes is just to do nothing in life. We need to be people who serve and are obedient. But lastly, I want you to realize this. Don't ever lose your spiritual authority. And let me explain what I mean by that. Don't lose your power with God because that's exactly what Esau gave up. God has given every Christian the indwelling Holy Spirit. And He guides you through that Holy Spirit. And there, there are certain things God wants each of us to accomplish in life. I would have never dreamt in my wildest imagination God would have called me to preach. I was terrified of the idea of preaching. I would tremble at the thought of having to get up and say a prayer. I didn't want to do that. Never desired that. In the youth group, I had a youth minister, Dan DeHaan, who was an amazing man. We had these poles about like the, the ones that hold up the balcony there. And I was pretty skinny back then. I couldn't hide behind one of those poles now. But back then, I was pretty skinny, and I turned sideways and tried to get right behind that, and I would move as Dan would move, hoping he wouldn't see me. But invariably, he'd call on me to pray. We had a big youth group, 85 to 120 people there, depending on what was going on in town that Wednesday night. And I was terrified of praying in front of them. I was just afraid I would say something wrong. And I can remember what Dan told me one time when I told him, don't call me afraid anymore. I don't know what to say. I'm afraid I'll say something wrong. You know what he said? I love this. You ever know Dan? Yeah. Before your time, wasn't it? Dan looked me in the eye and said this. He said, Jerry, you're not talking to them. You're talking to God. They're listening in on a private conversation. And it's none of their business what you're saying. I took that to heart, and it changed my attitude about what God had called me to do. It gave me the authority to speak truly and honestly and boldly from my heart. God wants us to do that. Don't give up your spiritual authority. In the first born in ancient times, there was an authority that everyone looked to. He was given that ability by God, yet there was an expectation of answering back to God for what was accomplished. He gave all that up. He said, that doesn't matter to me. He was going after something that was so self-centered. He's like the man walking beside the pool as a child is floundering, screaming for help. And the man walking by is reading a novel totally engulfed in the story and not even hearing the voice of one who is dying. That's who this person is. That's who Esau
You see, I grew up studying this and, and thinking, oh, wow, Jacob's the bad guy. Esau's the good guy. Both of these young men were failures. Neither one pleased God. But here's the good news. God didn't give up on either one of them. He loved both of them. He wanted to restore both of them. A lot of people in our society spend blaming others for their problems. There was a time when Jacob blamed Esau and Esau blamed Jacob. Southern Baptist many years ago had a slogan. And I kind of like it. It went like this. It said, if it is to be, it is up to me. And we need to think about that in our own lives because each one of us has been Esau at a different time. We've been called upon to do something either by God himself or, or by his emissaries in the church or, or some other way through the Holy Spirit. We've said no. Or either we, we, we've done that stalling act that some people do. We said, I'll pray about it. Now, let me explain to you why I say that. You never have to pray about doing God's will. Something may not be a perfect fit for you, but if there's something in God's community that needs to be done, you do it. I'm always blessed by the people that come in and serve. I don't want to pick on anybody here this morning, but I'm going to. Robert and Darby Massey have come since I've been here at the church, and, and they're two incredible people. And, and something about them that amazes me is they'll do almost anything you ask them to do their, their service. I told Robert this morning as I walked into the Mavericks, I said, put your apron on, I didn't even recognize you. Because most of his time in there, he's been in the kitchen cooking, and we're not, we're not having breakfast there. I guarantee you we'll have a crowd when that happens. But there was a good group of Mavericks there this morning, and I was picking on him because he's always serving. Let me tell you something. I've learned something about this man. Wherever he is in Selma, he's serving. He may be sitting with a co-worker having lunch, but he's sharing Jesus, or he's counseling, or he's encouraging, or he's admonishing. And I've observed that. And he's not the only one. But I'm making the point that God calls us to do something bigger and better than just being here. We can't just say that we're a dwelling place for God and not live as God lives. We can't say that we have the Holy Spirit and not respond to the needs of others. We can't pick and choose what we want to do because God calls us sometimes outside our comfort zone. Because we have gifts and talents beyond what we can imagine. I want to encourage you to stretch and expand. Don't get your identity stolen, but especially don't give it away. And sacrifice it for eternity. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that in your holy word you guide us to be faithful. You tell us to understand that we are building something that will last 
forever. Therefore, it's incumbent that we live our lives in such a way that we change not only our own situation, but the situation of those around about us. And God, I ask this morning that we would be honest with you about our lives and seek to change who we are and make sure that we are fulfilling our destiny, that we've not surrendered our birthright and our blessing, spiritually speaking, to someone else. That we've not walked away from something you called us to do and we've said no. And yet in our heart of hearts, you had a blessing for us and a blessing for those that we would minister to. God, give us a heart to serve for as we go through this, this time of separation, you are preparing for something greater on the other side. So therefore, I ask that you speak to someone here, someone who needs to make that decision to prepare to serve you in a greater way than they ever have before. And I pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.